Raise your hand if you are a conflict avoider. You want a conflict avoider? There's the little hand. Yep, the little, like, okay, I'm avoiding conflict. Yes, con okay, we got a finger pointing over there. Yeah, conflict avoiders, okay. So the, uh, the conflict, it might happen. You sense that, and so you're like, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to I'm gonna leave. I got to get out of here. The conflict might happen. I'm going to avoid, right? Um, what about how many of you are conflict comfortable? You're just like, it needs to happen. It's got to happen. Let's do this thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those, believe it or not. So is my wife. That makes for a really fun marriage. Uh, and so, so we, we have these, these two ways we look at conflict, but really both sides understand that when a conflict needs to happen, when, there, when there's the stuff that has made a conflict, it needs to, it ne when it needs to happen, if you avoid it, things go south. If you avoid the conflict, uh, things can get shallow. For example, your, your romantic relationship with your wife or, or, or your husband, for example. If you, there, there's got all the things that there's a conflict that should happen, but then you don't do that because you want to uh, not maybe look bad to your spouse. Maybe you don't want to hurt your spouse. You, you avoid the conflict. What happens there? Now that relationship is more shallow. Your spouse says, I love you, and you think, oh, would she say that if she knew the thing that I'm avoiding? So it just causes some shallowness. So the same thing happens with your kids. You're, you're, uh, I, got, I have two sons, so let's, let's say your son do, does the thing. So we've 10 times today. You've already been through the whole discipline cycle, all right? And it's, it's happened, it's happened, it's happened. You've done, you've done it, you've done the conflict, and then it happens an 11th time. Your son does the thing 11th time. And you can just avoid the conflict, but that's not good for him. Let him think that he's king of the house. He's won. And he would have won at that point if you avoid the conflict. Or maybe with your business. Here at Cornerstone, we have, uh, um, we have a staff team. We have a new staff guy right there. Um, and so we have a Cornerstone staff. And we have behavioral values. And one of those behavioral values is radical truth and transparency. And so the idea is when, when a truth needs to be spoken, it should come out, even if it causes conflict. And so if I come up to the staff team and say, guys, I've figured out how to worship the Lord well, okay? Because I'm the worship leader here, so I'm, I know how to do it now. Staff team, what we need to do is we're going to be playing, and it's, when it says, worthy is the lamb, lambs are going to bungee jump from the ceiling at that, that point over the people. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. And so I tell this to the staff team. Well, the staff team would need to say, Jason, man, uh, we appreciate you, but uh, that is a terrible idea. For the sake of the lambs, for the sake of the people under them, for the sake of us not getting sued, uh, that's, that's a bad idea. So radical truth and transparency. We need to have these conflicts um, or else there is shallowness or else there is, uh, it affects our development, our growth. It affects even our efficiency when it comes to business world. And so today we are not talking about conflict today. That's not what the sermon is about. Um, We're not going to have a conflict either, I hope. Um, but what we are talking about is just a very difficult subject. Uh, just like how we might want to avoid conflicts, even though, we, uh, even though that has negative consequences, we might want to avoid this very difficult topic. But if we do, just like with the conflicts, if we do, it'll cause some shallowness in some things in our faith, some, sh some, some underdevelopment in some things in our walk with Christ, and some inefficiency. So what we're, what we're talking about today is hell. This sermon is called Hell and How It Helps. Hell and How It Helps. This is the most difficult doctrine, the most terrible doctrine in Scripture. 
Um, but you know, when R.C. Sproul, so you got, maybe you've heard of R.C. Sproul. He was, the, he's a, he was a great theologian, one of the best theologians of our time. Um, wonderful guy. Uh, he just passed away a couple years ago. And when he was asked, what is the most difficult doctrine in, for you? He said, of course, the doctrine of hell. It's difficult. We don't want the emotional pain involved in thinking about it. We don't want the, the guilt, maybe, involved in thinking about it. We don't want the, the doubt involved in thinking about hell. But if we neglect it, and I'm talking personally, because here at Cornerstone, we, we try to preach the whole counsel of God. You're, you're going to hear about hell. You just heard about it last week. In fact, last week, Pastor Steve stepped on my toes and set, talked about a verse that we're going to talk about, but that's okay. I forgive him. Um, so we talk about that here, but I'm talking personally. Um, personally, is it, are you quick to put it out of your mind? Are you quick to, to be happy to not think about that anymore? And instead of meditating on it, just try to get away from it as soon as you can. Do you not let it affect how you view people? Because it is supposed to affect how you view people. It is, it's one of the, the main truths that exists in this universe. In fact, in, in the gospel, we have the glories of heaven, the love of Christ, and the terrors of hell. And so if we, if we are quick to put that away, then we're going to miss out on something. And even, even something that God has for us in our growth and development, and certainly, certainly on motivation for sharing the gospel with the fallen world. And so today, so what we're going to do, we're going to look at hell. Just gonna, we're going to f- notice four things about hell. And then we are going to, to look at four ways, God willing, that hell helps us. In the last service, we made, through, made it through three, so we'll see how it goes. But we're going to look at four ways that hell helps us. And so let's pray for God's help now. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are wonderful. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the sovereign God over this world. You are glorious and mighty and great. And Lord, in your providence, you have you have made, in this world that you have made, you've also created this thing called hell. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand as much as we can. We pray that you would help us to face it so that we can better worship you, so that we can better uh, to move your kingdom forward, so that we can more, more uh, efficiently grow. Lord, would you help us in this time? Would you be, please be among us in this time, um, stirring hearts and working among us so that we might be changed and helped the ways that you want us to be helped by the doctrine of hell. Please help us, Father, and I need so much help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week, Steve gave us a sneak peek into uh, Matthew 13. Like I said, I forgive him. It's okay. Um, but he, so what, what has happened is that uh, Jesus has given us a parable, and the parable is of the wheat and the weeds. So there's, there's a man with a field, and he sows into his field with his guys. He sows wheat into his field. And when, he, and when everyone is asleep, the enemy comes and sows weeds into that same field. And so after a while, the two are growing up, and his men are like, wow, that's, that's weeds. That is not wheat. Master, what should we do? Should we just pull all the weeds out? The master says, no. Um, you might you know, mess up the, uh, the wheat if you do that. Here's what you should do. Wait until harvest, and at that point, separate the wheat from the weeds, and the weeds are to be burned. So that's the parable. And then Jesus is going to explain it. His disciples come to him and say, Jesus, what's going on with this? And so he explains the parable, Matthew 13, 40 to 42. 
Jesus says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I want, I want to notice four things, and the first one is just surface level. Hell is real. Hell is real. We could avoid this whole topic. We could avoid all the pain if we just don't believe that hell is real. But Jesus Christ is speaking here, and it is so clear in Scripture that Jesus Christ believes in hell. And not only Jesus, but Paul and Peter and James and John and Jude and David. Hell is is real, and we have to address it. It it is one of, like I said, one of the main things that is true in this world that we have to deal with. Hell is real. And secondly, um, the second thing I want to notice is, is what or who is put into hell in this passage. So let's see. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin. That's the first thing thrown into hell. All right, so think about in your life anything that, is, that has led you to temptation, that has, uh, that has brought about um, that evil, that has encouraged evil, like all th- temptations of sin, all causes of evil, they are thrown away. They are thrown into the furnace. And praise God for that. In heaven, there will be no sin among us. And part of the reason, perhaps, is that all the causes of sin are thrown into the, the fire. They have made themselves known to the Son of God, and he has sent them to the flame. Praise the Lord. But then there's a second thing that is cast into the fiery furnace, and that is all lawbreakers. And that is the heavy one. Who is a lawbreaker? Well, anyone who has broken God's law. So that is me, that is everyone in this room, that is everyone on this planet. All lawbreakers. There it says in Romans Three, none is righteous, no, not one. You know, we just had the 4th of July last week. I hope you guys had an awesome time. In my neighborhood, they had this, like, big bash. And uh, with all the fireworks keeping me up at night and uh, a lot of Twizzlers. So, I don't know, apparently that's a thing, Twizzlers. Um, so we had the 4th of July last week. And um, so for, for we celebrated America. So how many, how many of you in this room have never broken an American law? Any hands? No hands. Okay, my hands are down. I've got a couple of misdemeanors on my record uh, from my earlier days. Um, but so, n- so no one in this room apparently has, has, bro- has survived, has made it this far without breaking an American law. Well, well what about God's perfect law? What about the, the God who has a law against lying or a law against th- theft? A law, man, New Testament, a law against anger, a law against pride. Everything I do is drenched in pride. When I was in college, I, uh, I thought I was very holy, and so I, I decided that I would pray to the Lord and ask him to show me my sin, and, and that's a good thing to do, honestly. Um, so I was, I was sitting across from my discipler, this guy who would meet with me once a week and talk about Jesus, and uh, I was telling him this, and he was like, man, you're kind of in for a, in for a ride there. And I'm just like, no, Brandon, you're, you're just not as holy as I am. So I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to show me my sin. And friends, I was amazed. I was shocked because the Lord at least partially did answer that prayer. And for the next day or two, I was shocked that all of my thoughts had sin in them. 
all of them. Just be walking to class, thinking about glorifying myself among my friends somehow. Sitting in class, thinking, comparing myself to people in class about who's better, who's worse. Wanting just approval from my professors. Just everything, everything. I was amazed. That was the thing that every thought had sin in it. I was amazed. We are all lawbreakers. You, you have, you've heard the, the phrase, uh, a bull in a china shop. Well, if, if breaking China is, is sinning, then I'm not a bull in a china shop. I'm a locomotive driving through a china shop. Uh, it, it's, it's bad. And, and, we are, and that is all of us. We are all lawbreakers. It's, it's who we are. It's what we do. And it's our heritage. We either need to have our records expunged by the blood of Christ or we deserve the flame. Amen. Hell is real and hell is heavily populated. That's, that's the point. Hell is heavily populated. Wide is the, the path to destruction. The third, third thing I want to notice about hell from this passage is that hell is horrific. So all lawbreakers go there. It says, and throw them, the Son of Man will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, th- this is really interesting. Jesus has already done the part of the parable in which he has all these metaphors. Like, that, that's giving the parable. There's all, this thing means this, this thing means this. And then now he's explaining it. So he says, okay, the, the master who sowed the, fe- the seed, that's the son of man. The, the peop- his, his servants, those are the angels. So he's doing this, he's just revealing what this parable is. But when he is in that re- explanation part still, when he is still explaining, and just giving the, the clear thing behind the metaphors, he still says, fiery furnace. It is as if to say, and well, it is not, it is, it is to say that a fiery furnace is a right comparison for hell. He doesn't need to explain that away. He doesn't need to, to take that mask off. He's like, no, hell, that, yeah, that's a fiery furnace. He's not exaggerating in that. He's not using hyperbole. It's a fiery furnace. And, and really, hell, as you, as you know, is, is often associated with fire a lot. Jesus says, um, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 25, then he will say to those in his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared to the devil and his angels. So as, as terrifying as, of a meta, as, as that metaphor is of fiery furnace, Scripture just gives us no reason to think that Jesus is, is just using hyperbole and exaggerating. It's not like Jesus is saying, oh man, I'd, I'd rather sleep on a bed of nails and go to the NBA. Like he's not doing that. The people in hell experience the full fury of the just God for their great wickedness in this life. And the closest thing to that that we can fathom is being on fire. This is terrible. This is terrifying. And then also weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the Greek, it is, it is the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, as if to suggest that this is the place of ultimate weeping, ultimate crying out, and ultimate gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is an expression of great anguish or despair or even anger, perhaps at the one inflicting the punishment. Now stay with me for one more observation in hell. Uh, this one doesn't come from Matthew 13. Um, it's not really in this text, but let's, uh, it's important, though. So let's jump to 2 Thessalonians 1. 
So Paul says, those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Eternal destruction. So if you go to your mailbox and you, you open it up and there's a little flyer for a window cleaning or something, and so you rip it in half and throw it away, and that destruction took about a second. And then you maybe, maybe you're having s'mores that night, so you, you throw some logs on the fire. Well, depending on how hot you get the thing, depending on how big the log is, that destruction of the log is going to last about an hour. If you go to Frank Turner's house for one of his big bonfires, he puts big old trees in the, in the bonfire. That thing will burn for five days. No joke, it will. It, yeah. So that destruction took five days. Well, friends, for the, for the person in the hell, the destruction is eternal. The destruction lasts forever. You can kind of think about the burning bush, how it was burning but not consumed. Well, that's kind of a holy version of what happens in hell. Hell is real. Hell is heavily populated. Hell is horrific. And hell lasts forever. Now, this is, uh, the people, uh, who, who, who would send people there? You know, I, I would maybe send pedophiles there. I'd maybe send uh, mass murderers there. But our God who sees the heart, our God who knows everything, our God who is perfectly just and loving and good, he sends all lawbreakers to hell, all lawbreakers to hell, unless your record is wiped clean by Christ. Friends, we need to face this, and we need to face this for a hundred reasons. But, one, but we're just going to talk about four today. There are things that God wants us to know. There's things that God, ways that God wants us to grow that involve this terrible, terrible doctrine. And God will even do good from it, of course. Because that's who he is. So, uh, the first one. Hell helps us with our holiness. How does hell help us? Well, hell helps us with our holiness. It actually does. Let's see Matthew 5, 29 to 30. Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better, it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. This verse is about severity towards sin. To do anything and everything to take, to tear out the sin no matter how much you love it. Now here, unlike in our other passage, there is hyperbole. Jesus is not telling you to cut off your hands and to, to, to pluck out your eyes. It, he's telling you to not treat sin lightly. I had a friend uh, just probably two weeks ago um, my, my buddy texted me and just wanted to come over. It was like 8 o'clock, which for me is late. And so he comes, and he has these two big paper bags, and he puts them on my dining room table. I'm like, all right, what's going on? He says, I'm cutting off my right hand. Inside of those two bags were, was his alcohol collection, all the alcohol in his house. Alcohol had recently led him to sin, and so he decided to obey this verse and live without alcohol, then keep alcohol and end up in the fiery furnace. It's about being severe to sin. Friends, if alcohol causes you to sin, tear it out. If, uh, if unmonitored internet access causes you to sin, tear it out. If your social media account causes you to sin, tear it out. 
keeping up a nice lawn uh, it caused you to sin, tear it out. If your spending habits cause you to cause you to sin, clear it out, tear it out. Nothing is worth holding on to in this world if it lands you in hell. Nothing is worth holding on to in this world if it lands you in hell. And then notice again in the text, for it is better. This is a good thing. This is a help. This is a way that Jesus is helping us right now. It is, it is far better for us to remove these things than to land there, right? It might not feel like, like it's a better thing for someone who's, who's struggling with a, with a big sin, but that is why we need hell here. That is the key. Hell helps us to see what is better in the long run. Hell helps us to choose God and to choose eternal life instead of eternal death. Hell helps us to turn to God. Okay, so I'll, I'll be the first one to say that, that love is a higher motivation. All right, if you, you go, to, go to Philippians 1. Oh man, Philippians is so awesome. Philippians 1, Paul talks about love abounding more and more with all knowledge and, all, and, and discernment um, so that you might approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So the motivation in Philippians 1 for holiness is love. Praise God. And I'm all, about, I'm all about that high motivation of love. But the person that Jesus speaking, is speaking to, is addressing in this moment, probably isn't sitting around bubbling up with heavenly thoughts. He probably isn't just enjoying Christ and enjoying God and enjoying the thoughts of heaven. Instead, he or she is desperate to cling to their sin. And so hell speaks to them in a language that they can understand. Hell can look at them and say, nothing is worth coming here. You're looking for pleasure. You're looking for some, to, to bless yourself. Well, you will not be blessed if you end up here. Run from this place. That's how hell helps us with our holiness. There are many good reasons to fight sin, many motivations, but Jesus gives the sin-addicted, sin-loving, sin-clinging-to-person um, this text. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Friends, all of us, all of us need to hear that today. And some of us in particular need to hear that today. Tear out your sin, brothers and sisters, or you will go to hell. Now, I want to address a objection. And the objection is this, and maybe it just ran through your mind, maybe it didn't. That's, that's okay. Um, the objection is this, Jason, you can't tell me that I'm, that you can't threaten me with hell, Jason, because there's, there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you can't threaten me with hell, Jason, so stop it. Um, maybe, maybe that's an objection that we have. Um, what I want to do is clarify biblical warnings. Because if you're saying that, if you're saying you, you can't talk to me about hell, Jason, then you're, you need to tell that to Jesus Christ because it's him doing that. All right, so today in popular Christianity, here's what I'm worried about. Today in popular Christianity, sometimes the gospel is kind of a divine hakuna matata. A divine, it means no worries for the rest of your days. And so we have, we have the path. We have the path. This is, this is the path that leads to heaven. And a true born-again Christian is walking on that path, striving forward. But then they get distracted. I'll get distracted this way so I'm facing you. So they get distracted and they start walking towards a sin. You guys aren't sin. Yeah, okay, but or they're walking towards a sin. All right, and so what is a true, how does a true Christian react to that? Well, how does a true Christian react when Jesus says, tear it out or you're going to go to hell? A true Christian reacts to that, responds to that with repentance. 
with getting on their face before the Lord and asking for forgiveness and coming back on the path. We just sang, he will hold me fast. That is what it looks like. This, the Christianity is not abstract when it comes to our lives. We do not just get, we're not just on a little escalator thing in, in like, what are those called when they're on the, on the ground? The, yeah, the, the people walkers. All right, it's, just, it's just not one of those we just automatically carted to heaven. It is, it is, a, it is a fight. It is, it is something that we have to strive towards, and that's the way God has planned it. So we sin, and then we have to repent and come back, and come back with greater faith and, and love for the Lord, and walk forward. Okay, that's how, that's how it works. A true Christian responds to a biblical warning with repentance. Now, what about someone who's not a true Christian? They're, they're walking the path. They're, they're saying it. They're saying that they're a Christian. They walk the path. They get, okay, there's a distraction over here. There's, there's some sin. And so they, they might get over here, hear this thing about hell. Like, oh, you'll go to hell if you, if you do the, keep on these sins. And they think, wait a minute, no. Jesus, the gospel, hakuna matata. Don't worry about it. And keep on walking in towards the sin. Now they get into a place where they're like, I, I don't have love for the Lord anymore. I don't have love for, for his people anymore. But you know what? Hakuna matata. Keep on walking. That is the way to hell. True Christians respond to the warnings of Scripture with repentance. So maybe for you, it's been a while since you've responded to the Lord. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been working on you, but you haven't responded in a while. Maybe you've been in a dark place. Well, it is not too late. You can see his words right there. Hear Jesus saying to you, cut off this sin. Repent or you will go to hell. We respond with repentance. And, but notice, if we do what we're inclined to do right now, if we, if we um, avoid it, remember that's kind of what we're addressing, if we avoid the topic, then we, we don't get any of this. Then we just can just cut this, these verses out of Scripture. Then we don't let Jesus speak to us in this way. And we might end up leaving our sin intact and going to that place that we do not want to think about. So friends, by way of application, friends, nothing is worth, no pleasure is worth hell. Repent. Repent. So hell helps us with our holiness. You see how this works? We talk about hell. Now we're talking about how the, the helps of hell. So first one is that hell helps us with our holiness. And now we have a second one. Um, so not only does hell help us with our holiness, but hell helps us with our fearlessness. Matthew ten twenty eight. Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The context of this verse is persecution. Jesus is foretelling a time of persecution when being a Christian can cost someone their life. That time started maybe a year after he said this and has continued all the way through July 11, 2021. And so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, many of them have been faced with a man with a gun or a sword or a club, or maybe they've been faced with a courtroom or a mob. I just heard about one recently where a man was carried off and just yelled to his family as he was going, don't turn from Christ. So that has happened for many of our brothers and sisters, and they have these two options, right? Deny Christ or die. Deny Christ or die. That's been a reality for many of our brothers and sisters. Turn away from Christ or be 
killed. And so Jesus gives his people something that is very helpful for that, for that pivotal moment, something that will help them to hang on to him, to have faith even unto death. And he does that by addressing the unsaid kind of survival question that's, that's, that's happening in their heart. That survival question as, as this terrible moment is happening is, who do I fear more? Who do I fear more, man or God? Death or hell? The survival instincts in the heart are putting that on them. And friends, we can't imagine the, the stress. We can't imagine that situation. And, and remember, it's not only the, the super holy Christians who, who are martyred for their faith. It's not only the guys who just sit on a mountain and spend all day reading scripture and meditating on the glories of heaven. And then the Holy Spirit tells them, hey, today at four, there's going to be a mob and you're going to be martyred. And they say, okay, great. Like that, that's, that's, not the, that's not the only ones who've been martyred. It's been regular folk who have found the Savior, Jesus Christ, and then are ending, ending up in a situation that is unasked for, in a situation that is demanding that they turn from the Savior that they have found. Everything would be okay if they just reject Jesus. And so Jesus does two things. First, he makes the choice very clear. He clarifies it. So over here is man. He can kill the body, and that would be terrible. Over here is God, who can not only kill the body, but eternally destroy it and the soul in hell forever. He clarifies the choice, and that is the fate of those who reject Jesus. But the goal of Jesus doing this is to draw away all the fear that the persecuted person has for man. That's the goal. So they're, they're, they're terrified of man, and so Jesus gives them this bifurcation, gives them this, these two poles to draw away all the fear that they would have for man and to impart courage. It's like this. So um, let's say, uh, so yeah, Pastor, so Pastor Stan, you're, you're a big dude. So you say, Jason, you're, you're not going to get out of this room. You're, I'm not letting you out of this room until you fight a 30-pound uh, red fox. Okay, so I have to fight a red fox. Pastor Stan just has a screw loose, and all you guys are complicit, but you just let it happen. So, um, so Pastor Stan is like, all right, you, you, have to, you have to fight this fox in order to leave. So at that point, I'm I am scared. Like, foxes have teeth. 30 pounds, that's a big old fox, man. Uh, so they have teeth, they have claws. I could lose some fingers in this process. Uh, that, would, that would be really rough. So I would have fear in my heart about that. Now, what if Pastor Stan says, okay, so no, actually, you have two options, Jason. You, you fight this 30-pound red fox, or you fight this 600-pound grizzly bear. All right, at that point, I'm all over that fox, man. I'm like, all right, I'll jump on that thing. I'll, I'll, I'll go for this. Like, I'll, I'm, I'm going for the fox. My fear for the fox is gone in, in light of a greater threat. Right, the 600-pound the grizzly bear, which, by the way, is how big those things are. Oh, my goodness, God's creations are crazy. All right. All right, so my, my fear about the fox would go away. And, and that, that is the idea. Hell helps our fearlessness by being a greater threat, by being a 600-pound grizzly bear. There is no need to fear man. He can only do a little bit. There's no need to fear that fox. He can only do a little bit. But there in this abyss is the monopoly of your, on your fear. This thing has a monopoly on your fear. And so Jesus is trying to give them, is, is giving them courage as he shows the two options. 
Now, I said Jesus is doing two things. So one, he's clarifying the situation. Um, but he doesn't just leave his soon-to-be martyred people with like, hey, hell is worse, don't deny me, good luck. Like that, that's not what Jesus, how Jesus leaves his people that he loves. So let's read on. We're going we're, we're to start with verse 28, and then we're going to read verse 29 and 30. So 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. That's what we've been talking about. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not, and then this is the next verse. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. What begins with an intense and practical help then flows into one of the most comforting verses that we have in all of Scripture. Jesus is doing two things. And the second one, he's he's taking away their even fear of death at all and encouraging them in the Lord. He's saying God sees and, and guides and you can say plans for the death of cheap little sparrows. They cost a penny. They're cheap. But you, Jesus says, even the hairs of your head are numbered. How much more does God see you? Does God know you? Does God guide your life even to the end? Do not forget that you are valuable to God. You have value before him. You see, God takes away the fear of man. He draws it all away. Fear of man, all the fear should be over there. And then he takes away the fear of death. And by the way, if you're not going to reject God as, as he's strengthening them to do, you're not going to fear hell either. He's just, he's just making his people fearless. He's helping them to not fear, not need to fear the one thing that they need to fear. And so they're left just with fearlessness and acceptance of the Father's will. He takes away the fear of man. Don't be afraid. Um, so um, in, no, in November, um, I got into a little car accident and it wasn't the worst thing in the world, except that it pushed me into 24, um, which is a road around here. It's a kind of big road. You can drive pretty fast on that road. And praise God, the lights were red. So I was pushed out into the intersection. The lights were red. And so I just, I, w- I was okay. I just had a little concussion. Um, but I, I walked away from that not, not okay in my heart. So I, I walked away from that... Um, you know, with some darkness, with some struggle. And it, the struggle came from the fact of just how random it would have been if those lights were green. So let's say those lights were green, cars were driving 50 miles an hour, I would have died. And so I w- it would have just been, it seemed just so insignificant. Like Jason's just living, 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 living. Now Jason's wife sleeps alone. Jason's just living, living. Jason was raised by his parents, goes to school, gets education, starts administering, and then dies. Like just suddenly, just randomly, nothing, nothing good happening, nothing significant happening. It's just over. That bothered me. That bothered me a lot. And that is what Jesus is speaking to here. He's speaking to people who are on the verge of death. And he is saying it is not random. It is not insignificant. God sees God knows. God plans. He will care for you through this situation all the way into eternity. There will be a time for all of us, and it is probably not the time that we're shooting for, for all of us. But our God, not one sparrow falls from the, from the, falls from the sky without him knowing. Our God sees you. He knows you, and he will carry you through eternity. It's not random. It's not insignificant. It is a plan of a gracious and good God bringing you to an even better place. 
maybe some of you have some family members that have passed away and you thought the circumstance was just random and insignificant and it bothered you. Please hear, your, your God does not do random. Your God doesn't do insignificant. Everything has significance. And everyone will finish their race at a certain time. And so those are the two things Jesus is doing. Jesus is clarifying the options, taking away the fear, and then is comforting him and saying, this is not random. You can walk into this. You can walk into this and hold on to me. You can hold on to Christ without giving up because God will see you through and God is with you and God knows your situation. That's what's happening. We can be fearless. And and this, this has application for your life. You probably won't be in the situation that involves uh, getting killed. It's probably not going to be worship Caesar or die at your workplace. It probably won't happen, but there will be times when your back is up against the wall, when you're with your neighbors, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your family. Do you really believe that there's only two genders? You might hear that question. Do you really believe that there's sin in homosexual relationships? Do you really believe that there's billions of people on this planet and yet God has only one way of salvation? Really? You will be up against the wall. In the the 1980s, the Christians were were kind of cast as this goody-two-shoe people. But now, in whatever 2020s, whatever whatever we're in right now, um, now we are cast as evil, as bigoted, as patriarchal, as oppressive. You will have some situations, and it, your job might be on the line. Your social acceptance certainly might be on the line. Your friendships might be on the line, just like your brothers and sisters in other countries. You are going to have to decide in that moment who you fear. Do you fear God, or do you fear rejection by the person standing in front of you? Are you going to reject God, or are you going to be rejected? Friends, Let God have the monopoly on your fear. There is one thing you should fear, and it is hell. It is not losing your job, and it is not losing social acceptance on the grand scheme. Jesus Christ says, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So this is how hell helps us with our fearlessness. So... It is. So that's halfway. Um, I'm going to try. to. I'm gonna try. Will you guys let me fit in one more? We've got, uh, we've got two minutes left. We'll see if it can happen in two minutes. Oh, man. In the last service, I was scared because of the time. In this service, it's even worse. That's all right. They're going to be all right. So I um, hope this is helpful. So this last one, let's, let's get to this last one. I'll try to go a little fast here. So hell helps us with our holiness. Hell helps us with our fearlessness because God wants us to be fearless and courageous. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Okay. Um, then hell also helps us with our worship. We are briefly, quickly going to visit another parable of Jesus. And this one is called the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Guess why? Because there's a rich man and there's a guy named Lazarus. The rich man is, again, guess what? Rich. All right, he's, he eats really well. He, he wears purple, which is super fancy back in the day. Um, he's rich, eating sumptuously. All right, the poor man is laid at his gates, and the poor man basically just wants the trash from the rich man's house. He just sits there and begs. But that rich man had no faith in the Lord, and he died 
and went to Hades. The poor man, Lazarus, again, I, I love that even he, the poor man has a name and the rich man doesn't. It's just like, man. The poor man, who has a name, dies and goes, and it goes to Abraham's bosom, which is kind of like a pre-heaven. All right. And so the, the rich man now is in hell, he can, he can, in Hades. He can see Abraham and Lazarus, and, and here, he's going to say some words. And this is significant because we don't normally hear people in hell talk, right? And so what is he going to say? Luke 16, 24, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For why? For I am in anguish in this flame. A few minutes ago, we laid out the basics of hell, that hell is real, hell is heavily populated, hell is horrific, hell is eternal. Well, this man is there. But before we, before we move on, which will really be the last thing we do, we need, we need to meditate on something. The flame that this rich man is experiencing, the anguish he is experiencing, the fiery furnace that many will experience forever, you would certainly have ended up there too. That would certainly, certainly have been your fate apart from Christ. That would certainly have been you. And so, because have, have you considered the gravity of your sins? I hope you have. Because one of, one of the helps that hell gives us is it answers a question that no one really seems to be asking. It answers the question, how wicked am I? How wicked am I? It answers that. The flame, the anguish, the wrath of God poured out for eternity, that is how wicked you are. This is just the truth. Either God is wrong about that and doesn't see right, or I am wrong about that and I don't see right, and I need to have my eyes open to the great wickedness in my heart, which again, he's done in the past before. Hell shows us how wicked we are. You have broken God's laws. God would be good and righteous to send you to the flame, to send you away with the devil and his demons. And so, hell shows us where you would certainly be apart from Christ if Jesus hadn't bled to save us. And so let's briefly look at Jesus. Every drop of blood, every act of humiliation towards him, every painful thing that Jesus experienced, he experienced to absorb the hell that you deserve, he, to absorb the agony that was coming to you. This is, here's Luke 22, 43. Jesus is in the garden. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. That's the cup of God's wrath. Nevertheless, let not my will, not my will, but yours be done. And being in agony, this is Jesus Christ in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. How does hell help us? Hell shows us the degree of suffering that Jesus Christ experienced in order to save us. I don't, I don't know how the spiritual math works, but Jesus had to pay the equivalent of eternal wrath for every single one of his followers. You know, we talked about the fiery furnace before. Did you imagine yourself there? Did you think about some pain and try to extrapolate it in your mind and then extrapolate it to eternity? Well, that is just one eternal wrath. Right? If, if uh, conservatively speaking, there's, there have been about a billion true followers of Jesus Christ. So on that cross and in the garden beforehand, Jesus experienced the wrath, the eternal wrath of one billion people. 
That is our Savior. That is, that is how he has saved us. Isn't he a great Savior? Isn't he a mighty Savior that he could endure, that he could save us? Suffice it to say, we cannot imagine the suffering of our Savior, really. Our minds just, just give up trying to imagine one eternity, let alone a billion eternities in hell at once. But he did that to forgive you and to bring you into his family. We can truly sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and honor and glory and blessing. This is the innocent one for the guilty. This is the just one for the unjust. This is the one who doesn't deserve hell for all of us who do. Oh God, teach us, show us, show us Jesus Christ and his love for us. And that is what hell does. Hell, that's what hell helps us to do. Hell shows us the degree of suffering that Jesus experienced in order to save us, and thus it shows you how much God loves you. That Christ would do that, that, that the God-man, that the King of kings on the throne above who never needs to experience any pain or any discomfort would come down here and live as a man and then not, not only just live among us, but teach sinners, teach people going the other way, teach them what the way of truth, teach them what is right, and then be murdered for them and not just be murdered for them, not just be beaten and killed, but to have the wrath of God for a billion saints poured out upon him in that time. That is our Savior. He has saved us. He has all that to forgive us and bring us into his family. And thus, hell helps us worship Jesus Christ. It helps us to see clearly, see more clearly his greatness, his strength, and how he loves us. In just a minute, we're going to sing these words. Oh, your love bled for me. Oh, your blood and crimson streams. Oh, your death was hell's defeat. A cross meant to kill is my victory. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear that Jesus is worthy of worship. That he is the lamb who was slain for you. Worship your wonderful, wonderful Savior. All right, I'm way over time, so I got to stop here. I want to let's land the plane, and uh, yeah, we'll keep on going. So, hell and how it helps. Uh, I ho- hope it's clear let's, that we don't want to avoid hell. We don't want to just avoid it because it's hard. Because Jesus has things for us. Hell helps us with our holiness. Hell helps us with our fearlessness. Hell helps us with our worship. And what we aren't going to talk about today, hell helps us with our gospel sharing. So may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord, even in his goodness and his sovereignty, use hell to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are vast. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of worship. It says in Psalm 65, praise is due to you, O God of Jacob. Lord, I pray that you would receive worship from us. That the blood of Christ, Lord, would would be precious to us, would be seen as wonderful to us because it has saved us from the the worst possible thing in all of the world. Oh, the gospel, that the worst thing that could possibly happen is not happening to us. Instead, the best thing that could possibly happen is happening to us all because of Jesus Christ. Praise your name, O Lord. Father, as uh, as we go forward this week, I pray for a lens to view others that includes their situation, that includes hell. It makes us fearless. It makes us more holy. It makes us share the gospel. Lord, for your glory and for their good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Stan.